Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Lore Beyond the Grave. I hope you all are having an amazing week. Recently, we've talked about a lot of true crime cases, and this week is just going to be a little bit different. I was doing research on a woman named Cynthia Anderson, and what I found gave me chills. Not only does this involve a level of mystery I haven't talked about yet, but it hits very close to home. And this case really makes you like want to set your brain on fire. There's so many different theories, so many possible outcomes, and I'm just sitting here trying to piece all the clues together, and I'm stuck between two different theories, and oh my god, I let's just get into it. Imagine knowing the way your life would pan out without it happening yet. Every night you dream about being abducted and it's the same story over and over. What would you do to try to prevent these events? Would you believe that your mind is trying to tell you something? Or would you think that it's just a silly dream and nothing like that could ever happen to you? February 4th, 1961, Cynthia Anderson was born in Lambertville, Michigan. Her parents were Margaret and Michael Anderson, and they had three other children, Christine, James, and Mark. Cynthia was very popular at school. She and her siblings grew up in a very strict Catholic family, so there was many rules that they had to follow growing up. Strict bedtimes, I'm sure certain activities were forbidden, who they could hang with, you know, you get the idea. Cindy, she was a very loving person. She had great relations with everyone around her. She was never the type to cause trouble or havoc. She had a boyfriend at the time in 1981 when she was just 20 years old. His name was Jeff. They met at their church and the parents seemed pretty approving. I think they were just genuinely proud of Cindy and all of her accomplishments. She had a job at a law firm in Toledo, Ohio, and it wasn't far from her home in Lambertville. Now, Cindy had put her two weeks notice in at the law firm because she was planning on joining her boyfriend at Bible College. This college was about 70 miles away from home, so it was a good chance at freedom for Cindy. I think she was excited about this new adventure and seeing other parts of the world, seeing more of what life had to offer. She wouldn't be cooped up in her parents' home anymore and she wouldn't be making the same commute to work and back every day. It was around this time that Cindy's father, Michael, had noticed that Cindy was spending much more time Time on her makeup and hair, even skipping breakfast, which was unusual for her. While Cindy was still working at the law firm, she noticed something pretty strange. There was a wooden billboard right outside of her job. You could see it directly through her office window and it stated, I love you, Cindy, GW. This was up for many months before it was painted over, but painting over the message did no good because whoever GW was just painted it right back over. The same message as before, just bigger. I love you, Cindy, by GW. Which was definitely strange. I mean, it seemed pretty obvious that this wasn't just a coincidence. There was nobody who worked in that area named Cindy, so this message was very clearly directed towards her. And after digging around with her sister trying to think of every last person she knew that could have written this, there was no one. They didn't know anyone by the initial GW. Now, keep in mind, 20-year-old Cynthia was still having these reoccurring nightmares. One of them, a friend had knocked on her door. She opened it and got held at knife point by this man who then murdered her. I mean, these dreams were really troubling her. 
Cindy worked at the law firm by herself in the morning, and then the lawyers would come in a little later on, and she always remembered to lock the door behind her, and they even installed a button where if anything happened and she pressed this button, the business next door would be alerted, and if she ever left, she would put the phones on hold. So keep all this in mind as we go through the story. One day, a man named Larry Mullen had to go to the law office to pay a legal fee. While he was there, Cindy got a phone call. She answered and then quickly hung up and her face went pale. Larry knew whatever that phone call was, it wasn't good. Then the phone rang again. He made sure everything was okay with Cindy and she explained that the phone calls have been happening a lot recently and that it was nothing to be worried about. But this bothered Larry a lot to the point where when he went home later that day, he called the cops. I think if Cindy would have told Larry what was going on, it would have helped a lot and maybe even prevented something from happening. But obviously she was scared. You could just see it on her face. And around this time was when the Cook brothers were murdering women around the area. So that plus her dreams, plus the phone calls and giant billboard from a secret admirer, that's enough to freak anybody out. August 4th, 1981, Cindy apparently skipped breakfast and left home to go to work around 8.30 a.m. She got to the office, you know, she did her normal-ish routine, got to work, locked the door behind her, began answering phone calls, and did whatever else she did in her spare time. I mean, it sounds like a pretty boring job just answering phone calls all day until the lawyers show up, but it seems like she had a lot of downtime. That last time she was seen that day was at 9.45 a.m., just sitting in her office. This was reported by one of the maintenance men in the building. Now, if Cindy ever had to leave the office for some reason, she would always put the phones on hold, but weirdly enough, people were complaining that the phones wouldn't be answered at all. So when one of her co-workers showed up, he noticed that the door was locked. Of course, he had expected this because it's always locked. But when he went inside, Cindy wasn't there. And it's weird because normally there would be a note, but it was obvious that something happened. The lawyer said it smelled like nail polish remover, so she could have possibly been doing her nails or it could have been used for something else. I mean, who knows? And this was obviously very strange because there was no sign of forced entry and nothing was out of order, nothing scattered. It was just as if she vanished into thin air. Her car was still parked in the lot, but her person keys were gone. And the weirdest part about all of this is that there was a romance novel that was just sitting on the table turned to a very specific page. Sawyer picked up the novel and began reading the passage and what he noticed was very eerie. The passage was all about a woman being abducted and held at knife point. Now, being realistic, if Cynthia was abducted, it was in broad daylight. And as we know, her office is surrounded by glass. Anybody could look in and see everything that's going on. So it doesn't seem ideal for the abductor to kidnap a woman and in the process of doing so, flip to a specific page in her book and place it strategically. It's all just a bit weird. Cindy's two co-workers decided to call her parents when they noticed that she didn't return later in the day, and her family said they haven't seen her since she left for work at about 8.30 that morning. Now, me imagining how that would look, 
You know, you would think that this abductor would be in a hurry to make sure Cindy couldn't do anything, and plus, there was no sign of forced entry. Cindy was the only one with the keys, so as he held her at knife point, he made her leave the building and lock the door behind her. That just doesn't really sit right with me either. Now, we know that the maintenance man had all the keys to the building, but that still doesn't feel like the correct answer. He was questioned, but no charges were ever placed on him. Do I believe he was the one to kidnap her? No, but maybe he helped whoever kidnapped her into doing so. He knew her schedule. He knew about the buzzer, I'm sure. I mean, it would make sense. It's easy. Now people began to question if Cindy was a victim of the murders that were happening in the Toledo area by the Cook brothers, but there was no evidence that led them to be able to pin it on the brothers. These brothers did have a record for killing young women, but the murders that these brothers committed seemed to be more of a spur of the moment and not planned the way Cindy's disappearance was. Plus, they admitted to killing many women, but then denied having anything to do with Cindy's murder, which, I mean, if you're going to sit there and confess to a bunch of murders, it doesn't make sense for them to lie about killing one woman. So I kind of have that option ruled out, but do you guys remember when somebody wrote on a board, I love you, Cindy, by GW outside of her job? Well, later in the investigation, a man admitted to being the one writing that message, but he claims it was for a different Cindy, who worked on the other side of the shopping center. I mean, it would be a really strange coincidence, but he had to have had some type of proof, because he was let go and he wasn't kept as a suspect, so I'm assuming his story kept up with what he said and they believed him. A little while after Cindy disappeared, an unknown woman called the Toledo Police Department saying that she knew where Cindy was. The woman seemed really on edge, she was talking in a very low voice, and she didn't answer very many questions before she hung up. I mean, this woman seemed pretty scared. Later on, she called once again and told the police that Cindy was being kept in a home that was two white houses right next to each other that a family had gone out of town and their son stayed home and that was the man who kidnapped her. But it didn't answer very many questions as to who or where she could be. I mean, there's white houses everywhere. You can't be certain on which house would be the right one. I don't know, I just feel like we're running into a lot of dead ends to where I'm kind of at the point where maybe she wasn't abducted and maybe Cindy just ran away. It could be possible that all these theories are wrong and Cindy just ran away. Like I mentioned earlier, she grew up in a very strict household. Her parents wanted their kids to be involved with the church community as much as possible, but maybe she didn't want to be involved as much as she was. Maybe she didn't want to disappoint her parents, so she just decided to run away. She could have been leading her family up to believe the abduction story by waking up every morning and telling them about her nightmares, kind of like preparing for her to leave. I mean, think about the day she disappeared. There was no sign of struggle, her personal belongings were gone, and the door was locked on the way out. Obviously, her car was still there, but it makes sense for it to be there. She apparently had enough money in her bank account to then start a new life. But obviously, you can't pull that money out of the bank before you run away, you know, because that would just be obvious then. And then the book flipped to the only page with violence in it. Could it be that she got the abduction story from her novel and just went with it? 
That's why she left the book flipped to that page because it would put pieces of her story together. The phone call from a woman to the police department could have been Cindy trying to stray them away from her running away. That could be why there was so much missing detail and such vague answers about how she's being kept in a white house. I mean, there's so many different theories that could be true, and I may be wrong on every single theory, but in my mind, it's leading me to believe she ran away. But this next theory I found might be even better than the possibility of her running away. I don't know. I'm still kind of convinced she ran away. But you can never be too sure. At her law firm in 1981, there was an attorney who worked there named Richard Neller, who had a client named Jose Rodriguez Jr. And in 1996, both of these men were arrested for involvement in a drug conspiracy that had apparently been going on for quite some time. Just enough time to where Cindy could have heard conversations between the two men at her job. Neller even stated that he killed Cynthia Anderson, but it did not hold up in court and the judge ruled it out. Neller could have found out that Cindy knew things she wasn't supposed to and made threatening calls to the law firm, kind of like how Larry witnessed the day he went in to pay the legal fee. This would also account for the door being locked. If Neller knew her routines and whatnot, it would be an easy way to kidnap her. And maybe the nightmares she was having every night were premonitions of what was to come her subconscious warning her. And if that was the case, she didn't tell anybody what was happening with this man, probably because he would have been threatening her. But this still doesn't account for the book being flipped to the violent page. I guess you could say it was just a coincidence, but this case shows me that nothing about this can quite be chalked up to coincidence. Thank you all for listening to this week's podcast about the Cynthia Anderson disappearance. I'd love to hear what your guys' theories are on the case, and if anyone has any information on the disappearance of Cynthia Anderson, please contact the Toledo Police Department as this case is still open and they still continue to look for clues. If you have a story you'd like to share, please email me at lorebethegg at gmail.com so I can include it in an episode. Thank you all for listening and see you next week.